This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. For decades, Israel has been a target of terrorist attacks, with hundreds of innocent civilians losing their lives in bombings, shootings, and other acts of violence throughout the years. Despite the Israeli government's efforts to bring the perpetrators to justice, many of the masterminds behind these attacks have remained at large. Frustrated with the lack of progress, a group of terror victims and their families decided to take matters into their own hands and seek justice in international courts. This episode is the story of their fight for justice and the NGO that helps them in their pursuit. Shuat Din, a legal organization founded in 2003 by attorney Nitsana Darshan Leitner, specializes in representing terror victims in legal actions against those who finance and support terrorism. Using creative legal strategies and a global network of lawyers, Shuwata Din has won numerous cases against banks, governments, and other entities that have aided terrorist organizations. The organization also provides legal aid to Israeli soldiers and civilians who have been subject to lawsuits and legal harassment in foreign jurisdictions. Nitsana Darshan Leitner, the founder of Shuwata Din, is a prominent human rights lawyer and activist. In addition, To her work with Shuat Adin, she has authored Harpoon, Inside the Covert War Against Terrorism's Money Masters. The book offers an inside look at the covert operations used to disrupt terrorist financing networks and the legal and moral dilemmas involved in such operations. Through her work with Shuat Adin and her writing, Dalshan Leitner has become a leading voice in the fight against terrorism, advocating for a comprehensive and proactive approach that targets the financial and logistical infrastructure of terrorist groups. We are super thrilled to have her on the show today. Yes. Thank you so much for joining. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure. <laughs> so how did the idea came to be, come to be? That, uh, that happened in the beginning of the Intifada, the second Intifada in Israel, the year of 2000. Me and my colleague just finished law school, became lawyers, and uh, we realized that perhaps there is a way for us as lawyers to take part in the fight against terrorism by doing what lawyers do the best, go after the pocketbooks of the terror organizations. Indeed, it sounds uh, unheard of. How can you go after a terror organization? What can you do to it? Uh, what would it care, etc.? But we felt that the entire terrorism is based on infrastructure that based on money. Money is the oxygen for everything, including terrorism, and we were determined to choke it off. And we filed a couple of lawsuits against the Palestinian Authority, against Hamas, Islamic Jihad, Here in, in, the Israel? United, in ah, Israel, okay. and in the United States, yes, we filed lawsuits against Iran, Syria, for aiding and abetting terrorism. And after two years, we started winning in court. We received judgments for hundreds of millions of dollars. We received liens on terror finance. We um, received unprecedented decisions against the Palestinian Authority, etc. And then we were approached by a special unit in the Mossad called Harpoon, headed by the legendary head of the Mossad, Mayor Dagan, that asked us perhaps we can collaborate 
they, in their uh, different operations, accumulated a ton of information, documents, evidence that prove how the money really goes from United States, Syria, Lebanon to the hands of the terror organizations in the West Bank and Gaza. And they said that it will be a waste not to use this information. Perhaps we can expand our activity and file more lawsuits against the organizations and take on the banks that provided the organization with financial patrons. We couldn't do it as private lawyers anymore. And we established Shurat Hadin, Israel Law Center, to take all these hundreds of cases and file them in orderly manner in the courts around the world. And what happened, like, I'm thinking the history of terror victims in Israel, it goes like the serious terror attacks, I guess, began in the 60s with the plane hijacks. And then you have uh, the terror attack uh, by uh, this uh, Japanese guy in the early 70s. Right. Um, so for all those decades and the first intifada right. and the Oslo terror attacks, nobody th- came up with this concept? Uh, no, it actually began uh, in the end of the uh, second intifada, first intifada, towards the beginning of the second intifada, where um, there were special laws in the United States mm. that were enacted to deal with terrorism on behalf of terror victims. Mm. The Anti-Terrorism Act that allowed American citizens that were killed or injured abroad to bring their cases in the United States against overseas terror organizations. Uh, so that brought to the ability to file lawsuits against the Palestinian Authority or any terror organization that was enacted in 1996. And also uh, an exception for the Foreign Sovereign Immunity Act that says basically that a state-sponsored terrorism does not act as a sovereign state and therefore should not enjoy sovereign immunity. Can you explain? Yes. Usually you cannot file a lawsuit against a state state have sovereignty immunity. This means that they cannot be sued in court. You cannot sue England or France and Israel. You cannot sue them in the states as well. Okay. But Congress decided that states that are designated as terror-supporting states are not acting as sovereign state and therefore should not enjoy sovereign immunity. And this is how you can file lawsuits against states that are listed on the watch list of the State Department, like Iran, Syria, North Korea, for aiding and abetting terrorism. In the U.S. On behalf of American citizens in the U.S. And then, but what is the outcome of such a lawsuit? Meaning, what's the end? There is a judgment that the court grants in case you are able to prove that actually this sovereign state support the terror organization or support the terrorists. So, for example, um, all the suicide bombings that went on in the beginning of the uh, second intifada or uh, towards the end of the first intifada, you know, Machna Yehuda Market and Ben Yehuda Street in Jerusalem and bus number 18 and bus number 19 and 25 and all the Sbarro uh, pizza place and the Dolphinarium discotheque, you name it. All this were done by suicide bombers that belong to a certain terror organization. Sometimes it's Hamas, sometimes it's Islamic Jihad. If you are able to prove who's standing behind this terror attack, you can actually go after the country that supported this terror organization. So in the case of Sbarro, for instance, 
that was done by Hamas terrorists. First, you need to prove that it really was Hamas. And second, uh, you have to prove that at that time, Iran supported Hamas. Once you pass through these stages, you have a judgment against Iran. And now you just need to collect it. How? So in the beginning, we found assets that belong to the Iranian government, bank accounts that are frozen in the United States, real estate. Uh, I would admit that the State Department did not like these cases and it looked like the idea that uh, the terror victims will receive money that is sitting in a bank account that belongs to Iran. Why? They wanted to keep the money for better days with Iran. <laughs> they wanted to have a say what to do with the money. Okay. So we had to pass a legislation in Congress that overcame the objection of the State Department. And we are able to receive the money in the account and give it to the terror victim. Well, that's that's interesting. I feel like we should pause now. What do you mean we were able to pass a legislation in Congress? Yes. Um, <laughs> Nitsana Darshan Leitner, <laughs> an Israeli citizen, passes a legislation well, in the we, United States Congress? We did hire lobbyists to help us okay. with that. Uh, but the idea was that uh, uh, after September 11, all the insurance companies were sued by the victims. Um, and Congress wanted to pass a law that was pushed by the uh, insurance companies to protect them and to limit the amount of the insurance to $1 million per victim instead of tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in any case. We came to the insurance companies and told them that why don't they put in their law the idea that the victims can go first and foremost to the countries that are in charge of this terrorist attack, uh, like Saudi Arabia, like Iran, like any other country that supported the terror organizations. This will limit uh, their exposure and will limit the amount that they've had to pay to the terror victims. The insurance companies agreed, and this is how we passed the law. Wow. So basically, after that law was passed, the United States uh, officials or whatever, the, the, the government could demand of um, any kind of Iranian holdings in the United States to be released. Yes. Basically repossession or whatever of those holdings and then redistributed to as payment to the victims. Exactly, exactly. Like we found a house that belonged to the uh, uh, Persian Shah. Years ago when the son of the Shah wanted to become a pilot, his father sent him to Lubbock, Texas, where they have a big Air Force base and bought him a house. That's so awesome. They just <laughs> get to, you go, you, so you ran around the States <laughs> looking for Iranian property and we're like, that's ours. Uh, yes. Yes. That's um, amazing. Yeah. And how is forced... there not a movie about this? <laughs> Good question. Uh, Did you get the... Soon to be, I have, I hope. Okay. okay. It should be a Netflix show. Yeah, a Netflix yeah. show. Yeah. Um, we are able to seize the house and give it to our victims. But Boeing, for instance, when they signed an agreement with uh, Iran to sell them 80 aircrafts for $17 billion, we went to the court in Chicago. We put a lien on this deal between Boeing to Iran, and we told the court, we have a judgment against Iran. We are entitled to the Iranian money that will go in this deal or to the aircrafts. <laughs> Wow. And the court approached the State Department because it was, you know, too far reaching. What do you mean you are entitled to the money or to the aircraft? 
And the State Department uh, upheld our position and sided with us. And so said, Boeing uh, called off the deal, I'm assuming. Yes, yes. Yeah, the nuclear agreement was called off and uh, Boeing did not uh, proceed with her agreement with uh, Iran. But ah, it, it's you, a very uh, recent incident. Yes, yes. So Boeing was already like hitting up on the on the line on the sideline to get the money from iran as yeah. soon as the biden government essentially right. will sign the deal with iran and right that's it amazing was, uh, it was turned off because of the uh, nuclear agreement uh, was cancelled but have not this was going on and in fact they came to court and said we can't really let the terror victims receive any money because iran will obstruct this deal which will obstruct the entire nuclear agreement because one of the conditions of the nuclear agreement back then in Obama's days was that the Boeing will be able to sell Iran this aircraft. Mm-hmm. And despite all that, the State Department didn't want to care and let us continue with the case. The law. Wait, so I have to have before, just like a quick stat. How much would you estimate, if it's easy, to ballpark? How much would you estimate it like till today including sums that have yet to be claimed has been uh has been by shurat ad-din claimed for terror victims so so far we are able to receive two billion dollars in judgments and we are able to seize 600 million dollars in terror assets and to collect actually to get into our hands more than 400 million dollars that went to the terror victims first of all like that's amazing, but it's also devastating to think oh, the lives that all that money represents. Yes, um, you know, I always say that no money can bring back life, but money give a measure of compensations, a measure of justice to the terror victims. The terror victims agreed to play a role in this war. They agreed to revive the horrific terror attack that they are involved with uh, in order to pursue justice and um, they were brought before jury is what you mean some of them were brought before jury some of them had to testify before a judge single judge Mm -hmm. and uh, it's not easy in any of these cases Uh, and therefore the compensation at least in the United States are very high very significant. The court want to show his uh, um, how upset it is and how outraged he is before um, these horrific terror attacks and uh, grants punitive compensations and also compensatory damages in a very high amount. And it's important to say that this is all done in uh, by an NGO, meaning a non for profit, right? Yes. So this yes. is like the lawyers. Who are working for Shuat Adin are not uh, taking a, a. But the lawyers you hire in America. Percentage. Yes, lawyers that work on these cases, both in Israel and the United States and elsewhere, are not getting paid hourly rate mm. because we can't afford it, the victims cannot afford mm. it, but they do get compensations, percentage. a percentage, a work on contingency in the end of the, of the day. Um, many cases do not come to a completion. Um, they don't uh, come up with a judgment, or even if you get a judgment, you don't collect. Um, we have a case uh, against a Palestinian authority that we won in the United States, 
uh, in before a jury trial in 2015 on behalf of 10 American families of terror victims and the judgment was for 655 million dollars really significant amount but it was uh, overturned in appeal and mm. we went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court did not uh, agree to uh, reinstate the judgment um, wow. and we lost it only on a personal jurisdiction allegation was very technical argument mm. um, it's a roller coaster it is it is and in this case we went back to Congress um, and yes and pass another legislation <laughs> <laughs> that uh, reinstates personal jurisdiction. It was a very interesting case. It, it still is because uh, the Palestine Authority claimed that um, we didn't have a right to file a lawsuit against it in the United States because there is no jurisdiction. The Palestine Authority is not a state. Not, not, it's not a state, but it's not active in the United States. There are no ties to the United States. Usually when you file a lawsuit against a defendant, you have to show that this is a proper jurisdiction, that the defendant lives in this place, knows the law of the place, uh, can be aware of what's going on. The Palestinian Authority said, I'm in Ramallah. But they have an I embassy have, in America. Yeah, it's not an embassy of the Palestinian Authority, but the PLO. It's a mission of the PLO. Yes, there is a difference when you come and go into details. Wow. So we, yeah, we are very, very upset. Um, but, and we approached the State Department or the, the court approaches the State Department, the State Department said, no, no, no. Unfortunately, this law is unconstitutional and was uh, invalid. So we went to Congress and told them there is a problem. There is a problem because we filed this lawsuit and litigated for 15 years based on a law that they enacted, a very well-intended law that allow American citizens to file their cases in the United States. It's an extraterritorial jurisdiction law, but now was canceled by the court for being unconstitutional. This so seems they very have, relevant. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And they have to fix the problem. Oh no. Yes. <laughs> the parliament needs But to the, fix the problem and change um, the law to override the to, Supreme Court. Yes. That's unheard of. Yes. So what they did, <laughs> or you see, That's it not goes, the dictatorship. It happens in the United States, <laughs> in the most democratic country in the world. And uh, Congress agreed. And they said, if the Palestinian Authority wants to continue receiving aid from the United States government, They have to agree to personal jurisdiction when it comes to terror victim litigation. Uh, so in the beginning, the Palestinian Authority said that uh, they don't want to receive any more aid from the, from the United States government. Uh, that held for one year. Recently, they came back and said, <laughs> we do, uh, we can't actually do without this $600 million dollars. Uh, financial aid that the United States is providing directly them. to the Palestinian Authority yes. that's not UNRWA right UNRWA mm -hmm. is three hundred thousand dollars more three hundred I'm sorry million dollars more and um, and now we are back now the Supreme Court ran down the case to the federal court to see whether based on the behavior of the Palestinian Authority by receiving money from the United States government, she should be perceived as someone that is agreeing to personal I jurisdiction. I gotta say, that's also another beautiful, beautiful, like, 
bit about American law. Like the Supreme Court received back this case and, and then sent it down to the federal court to do the actual job of a court. Yes. Yeah. Yes, That's, because you can't hear evidence yeah. in the Supreme Court. It's That's what a division. court made up of people who actually care about justice. Um, um, anyway, sorry, not to get political, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but to me, okay, we can, that's we can jump just, into no, this just, in a different it, podcast. Yeah, yeah, but it just it, it rung to me like the fact that, that that's a very uh, I think humble act on on the part of you know people who that that to me rings of justice. People who are saying you know this isn't our job. Now the Congress has passed another legislation. Please, the lower courts, do your job in figuring out this case. That's exactly. But uh, it stood out to me that you said, so if I got this correctly, almost a almost billion dollars a year the United States gives the Palestinians. Yes. That's insane. That's insane. And yes. And, and you say this despite the incitement to terrorism and despite the support of terrorism and yeah. despite the uh, pay-for-slay policy and despite all that, they give them this money. Um, the uh, Taylor Act, uh, Taylor Force Act, that was supposed to deduct any payments to the prisoners uh, that they were paid by the Palestinian Authority from this money, from this grants that are given to the Palestinian Authority, was basically cancelled by uh, the Biden administration, and now they give them the full $600 million, no matter where the money goes to, no matter their policy of the uh, pay to say. And UNRWA operates in Gaza. Yes. Do we know how much money ends up being? We don't have uh, details or information about money per se. We do know that uh, the uh, infrastructure and the facilities of UNRWA are used by the two organizations uh, not only during wars, where they use uh, schools to hide missiles and rocket uh, launchers, or they uh, use ambulances uh, or use cars of uh, UNRWA, and obviously use uh, places to uh, or hospitals to uh, hide the terrorists, uh, but also in non-war period. Yeah. They so why not sue uh, UNRWA? UNRWA has immunity. We're back to this uh, question. Also in Israeli courts? Yes, yes, by law. UNRWA, UNRWA is a UN organization, and all the UN organizations are uh, protected by immunity by law. I have an idea then. Go to Congress <laughs> <laughs> and legislate a law which says... Seems no like there's nothing Nitsana can't do. <laughs> no more immunity to the UN. Uh, you know what? Now we are planning a lawsuit against UNRWA despite the immunity. Uh, it just, it's unbearable. It's too much. It just, yeah. It's too much. It's They're too really much because overreaching, it's really. Um, the bureaucracy, the what? The no, the, the support of terror. They support. Ah, so who? But but yeah. how are you going to overcome? Where? Well, are you gonna I don't know if them? we're going to overcome it, but I must raise public awareness for this. For this uh, saying just for the doing. PR, it's worth it. Yes, and perhaps we'll find a way. We'll find a hole that we can perhaps go by. It's uh, uh, it's 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 really unheard of. You can't have an entity that simply supports blandly, openly, publicly at organization. And another thing I want to ask you is: so 
the first of all I understand there's this separation between the Palestinian Authority and the PLO guys if you don't right. know it's the Palestinian Liber- Palestine Liberation Organization mm-hmm. which became the P- Palestinian Authority but I guess that, it didn't it no it did not the PLO signed with Israel the Oslo Accords that created the Palestine Authority yes indeed there is uh, a parallel between the Palestine Authority to the PLO Uh, the head of the Palestine Authority is the head of the PLO. The um, main power is basically the same people. Uh, the facilities are the same. And yet, there are two different organizations, two different entities. And who... Sounds like a tax scheme. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, it's my business. But you live there. But it's my business. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, the PLO consists of all the different organizations and... In the Palestine Authority, uh, the Popular Front for Liberation of Palestine, the uh, Popular Democratic uh, Front, uh, the, uh, the, the Fatah, uh, 417, all the different organizations are under one umbrella of the PLO. And this is different than the Palestine Authority that's supposed to run a government in, uh, in uh, Judea and Samaria in the West Bank. Um, and uh, just one of the things that they are helping is the PLO among others. And, and the PLO is any of those entities are, are considered a terror organization in the Not United anymore. States? Uh, the PLO received a waiver that the president of the United States signs every six months not to consider it to be a terror organization. This is only for the PLO. However, in the PLO itself, as I said before, there are terror organizations which are still designated and don't receive a waiver, waiver like the Fatah, like the Popular Front for Liberation of Palestine. All the terror organizations are still considered mm-hmm. to be a terror organization. Um, so you may ask, so what's the what's point? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if all the organs of the body are sick, how come the head or the body itself is sick? Is kosher is okay to deal with but this is the United States they wanted it to uh, be able to sign the Oslo Accords they wanted to have some relationship with the Palestine Authority and therefore they uh, sign this waiver every year mm-hmm. Wow so it's fascinating yeah it is it really is all the ins and outs huh yeah um, so I want to ask you what what's the case that you feel like you're the proudest of or that moved you the most? You know, a case that you that'll Stood stick out. with you. Um, so I think I think this case of the six hundred fifty-five million dollars is uh, my best case mm. yet, uh, and I'm going to win it. I'm going to win it. I'm going to um, prove. Power to you that um, that the uh, Palestine Authority uh, should perceive as uh, expressing a consent for ju- uh, personal jurisdiction and will win a judgment ultimately the uh, solicitor general is uh, on our side uh, and I know it will reach again the Supreme Court and I am pretty positive that will win the Supreme Court but but yeah. The uh, ultimate case is just a recent case that we had in the Supreme Court of the United States against Google. Hmm. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, we, we started filing losses against the social media companies back then in 2015. 
in the outbreak of the knife intifada in Israel, mm-hmm. where Palestinians were grabbing knives and go and kill Jews. And when you went deep into the question why they're doing it, you realize that they are incited to kill. Incitement that took place on the social media. Posts and videos that illustrating how to kill and encouragement to go and kill and uh, endorsements. For terrorism all on Facebook. Facebook was the most popular social media networks among the Palestinians to the extent that Benjamin Netanyahu called the uh, uh, wave of terrorism the Facebook Intifada. And then they, uh, he sent his ministers to meet with Facebook representatives and asked them to turn this assignment down, but Facebook refused. Facebook said that they are only a neutral bulletin board They are not involved with the content, they are not involved with the users, and they have no intention to take this incitement down. So we decided to take Facebook to court, and we filed a $1 billion lawsuit against it in the federal court in New York on behalf of terror victims that were killed in the knife intifada in Israel. And uh, Facebook obviously hired lawyers, came to court, and said that they are immune according to Section 230 to the Communication Decency Act. You're nodding so you know what I'm talking about. This is a law that was enacted in 1996 to protect the Internet, to let the Internet flourish, to uh, keep the Internet open. And it basically says that social media networks and also Internet servers should not be considered as publishers mm, yeah. for uh, a content that was put on their platforms like by a third party. Section. They are not newspapers, they are not TV. They cannot be considered as publishers. And that grants them blanket immunity. They cannot be sued. We said it's not about content. We said it's mere fact that Hamas has a Facebook page is a violation of the Anti-Terrorism Act. Because according to this law, no American company is allowed to provide any sort of services to a designated terror organization. A bank is not allowed to open a bank account to Hamas or to Hassan Nasrallah. So why Facebook or Twitter will be able to open a page or an account to a leader of the Hamas or, the, or Hezbollah? But we lost the cases. The court said Section 230 Blanket immunity cannot be sued in court. We kept going. We said terrorism is not an Israeli problem. It's a global problem. And we started filing lawsuits on behalf of ISIS victims that were killed in the Paris attack, in the Brussels attack, in the Istanbul attack. Uh, and again, we lost the cases, Section 230, until we reached the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, for the first time, agreed to hear these cases. They took the case of Gonzalez versus Google. Gonzalez was um, a 24 years old student, a daughter of American-Mexican family from LA that received a, a scholarship to learn and study a semester abroad in Paris. And she sat in a cafe where ISIS carried out the attack in the concert of the death metal mm-hmm. and uh, shot her to death. She was American, only American that was killed in this attack. Mm-hmm. And we filed a lawsuit against Google because Google owns YouTube. And YouTube provided amazing support to ISIS with their beheading videos and all the other videos that ISIS screened for years on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So we had a hearing 
two weeks ago in the Supreme Court. Wow. Uh, it was fascinating. The uh, Supreme Court... Uh, is, the, is, it, is this on YouTube, by the way? The hearing? I think uh, proceedings... The, it was not on YouTube, but uh, yeah, you can go you can on go it, and, it and, yes. uh, and, and listen to it. Um, the Supreme Court receives uh, 8,000 cases a year and picks up only 80. Two of them were ours. One against Google, one against Twitter, another victims of ISIS. And uh, for two days, the court sat and heard the cases. Usually a hearing takes one hour, 20 minutes for the defendant, 20 minutes for the plaintiff, and 10 minutes each for rebuttal. This time it took more than three hours each day. Uh, and the uh, judges uh, humbly said that uh, perhaps they are not the nine best experts for the internet. Perhaps they should not get involved. On the other hand, because just because of the implication, I mean, it, you rule against Google, you basically um, hit every company along the way because it's not going to be only the social media companies it will be all the companies that are based on algorithm or knowledge on recommendation all the arguments that we raised so in the hearing and that will be a, a president that will affect the entire economy of the united states indeed cnn um, define this case as the case that will blow up the internet or the case will bring the internet on its knees on the other hand, the court knew that before Congress, there are 25 proposals for legislating uh, and revisiting Section 230 because everybody knows now that the social media networks have algorithms, they have the tools, they have the ability to monitor content and they should not be immune. And despite all this proposal, Congress did nothing because the uh, social media networks have tremendous lobby in Congress. Yeah. So it's up to the court now. So we're waiting for their ruling, basically. Yes. How does that work? How yes. long does it they take? Will take? Probably they will come down with a decision in June. Wow, wow. that's crazy. And uh, we, I didn't hear about it, which is also upsetting. How much is Google being sued for? Yes. You're frustrated <laughs> uh, by I that. I am very frustrated. Yeah, in Israel, it did not make any headlines because Israel was extremely busy with the judicial reform. Nothing passed the radar. Uh, but in the United States, it was covered from wall to wall. What were you wow, asking? That's amazing. No, it's just amazing that we didn't yeah. hear about it. Um, how much are you suing Google for? Um, in this case, it will be half a billion dollars. Wow. And, and Twitter, too. And Twitter, too. Twitter was uh, uh, going on, of, against um, Elon. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't in his time. Yeah. And course. yet he will have to pay the price. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Should have taken it into consideration when yeah. he bought the uh, company. Um, even though we know that uh, because Twitter, sorry I'm cutting you because on Twitter the first thing that uh, stands out is Khamina uh, is absolutely account absolutely it's that's insane uh, is it that's in the, the irony of the whole thing or this is the absurd of the whole thing mm -hmm. how can you let Khamina and other and yes we mentioned this specifically uh, and all the Iranian leaders who have accounts on Twitter. I mean, United States banned Iran, banned the Ayatollah, banned the uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guard, and all this have accounts on Twitter, and they are free to use social media networks. It's it really makes no sense. And um, so, one of the things we allege is that uh, there should be an end uh, from 
um, you know, not to define, not to separate, not to uh, make uh, a difference between each another. Totally zero tolerance to terrorism on the internet. This should be the goal. And yeah, I, I want to I want to jump in as devil's advocate for a second. Not that I've given this a whole ton of thought, but um, instead of you know making this into an echo chamber, I mean, the idea I I can. Probably you can you can lay down a great case for why, according to the U.S. Lo- legal system or the laws in the United States, this shouldn't be. It's not. It's inconsistent. But let's take a step outside of law for a second and talk about Twitter and the internet as a platform for free speech and free speech as an as a totally extreme, absolute idea, right? right? That anybody can right. can express whatever they want. You mm-hmm. and. And there is no such thing, quote unquote, as incitement to violence. Meaning, even if I tell you go go right. kill that Jew, it's your individual decision as a human being to go kill someone. So, so where where does that come into play? Do you and think how do beheading you see uh, videos are also under freedom of speech? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. So but I'm talking all, about incitement now. We're so talking about all, like the... Yeah, so I relate to both things. Incitement to terrorism or incitement to violence does have a limit. If it creates an imminent danger, it should be banned. So there is an exception for the freedom of speech when it comes to incitement to violence. Ah, uh, yeah. According to U.S. law, again. And also according to the Israeli law. So how would you? How do you define that? You can't imminent imminent danger. You can't. Well, the uh, the uh, test or the example is uh, someone who calls fire fire in a in a cinema place. Uh, it's a closed place, and somebody calls fire, and the entire crowd gets out and rush out, and someone get killed. So the uh, the. Uh, Rulings say that uh, this person is liable for the incident, for the death of the uh, person who was killed. Um, and there is no freedom of speech in this instance. There is no defense of freedom of speech. Why? Because he should have known that by yelling fire, fire, he might cause a danger, might cause a disaster. And he did. But to come in advance and know exactly which call can create an imminent danger and what not, it's very, you know, I would say it's impossible. And therefore, our allegation was not against the content, not against the speech. You can't define what speech should be allowed on social media and what speech should not. We claim that it's just about the use of the platforms as a tool in the operations of the two organizations. The terror organizations should be banned from using social media. And on the flip side, the social media networks should ban the terror organizations from using their platform. Because here, you can control it. Facebook can know who's using their platform. Twitter can know who opens the account. This is very specific, very accurate, and it goes by the designated list of the State Department or Israel or any democratic state. You know exactly what is a terror organization and if it's using their, your platform. 
And yes, indeed, when we uh, allege that YouTube helped uh, ISIS, we came and proved and showed that in the end of each movie, the uh, ISIS called people to join them. And if you think about it, how people in Australia, in New Zealand, know about the opportunity to take a flight to Turkey, to cross the border to Syria and Iraq and join ISIS over there. Who would know about ISIS? Who would even care without these beheading videos? So this is what the um, uh, social media platforms provided ISIS, provided them with a tool that they could not do without recruiting militants and also raising funds and spreading their propaganda and spreading their ideology. And until today, maybe ISIS does not exist as an organization, but it surely exists as an idea. And and the social media companies, I guess, uh, they claim that like we cannot possibly take responsibility on finding all the accounts and defining them and take them down. I mean, they go on this... So they didn't go this way yet because they're immune. They don't have to ah, okay. respond or to answer the court. They just say two, Section 230 and... Yes. It's like yes. pleading the fifth. <laughs> exactly. But once we pass the motion to dismiss... This is what we'll say, probably. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I want to touch just for a few minutes about Israel because there's a big caveat to everything we talked about is you needed, uh, quote-unquote needed, an American citizen yes. involved um, but most of the terror victims in Israel are not American citizens. So do, do you do lawsuits in Israel? We have lawsuits in Israel. We have a lot of lawsuits in Israel um, <clears throat> on behalf is, of hundreds of victims. And how is Israeli court compared to so, American um, court? It also takes years. <laughs> also takes years. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, and this is the big difference, the amount of compensations awarded in the Israeli court are pity. To, uh, against uh, compared to what the uh, American courts give. The American go- court gives $10 million per plaintiff um, if you are a father or a mother that um, uh, you, you lost a child. Uh, if you are a child that lost a parent, once again, you receive $10 million. If you are a brother that lost your brother, you receive $5 million significant amounts in israel all the siblings together will receive less than a million dollars because of the law or because the judges are because the supreme court overturned the ruling of the district court and said that um the ruling should be persistent to previous cases not terror cases just tort cases and was too afraid to shake the system meaning if they would grant or upheld what the uh, uh the district court granted awarded that was 10 million shekels per victim similar to what the united states are giving but in shekels not in dollars uh, it could reach tens of millions of shekels per case, which they didn't write it, but which might um, bankrupt the Palestinian Authority or bring it oh. to a financial damage. And in order to protect <laughs> the Palestinian Authority, and by the way, protect other terror organizations like Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and others, they limit the compensation. To me, that's uh, treason, what you're describing here. That's treason. 
Um, you cannot comment. I cannot comment. <laughs> <laughs> no? Hey, Protecting a uh, terrorist organization over terror victims? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone can tell you've been cynical. <laughs> oh, that's, that's sad. It's, uh, it's, it's really sad and uh, it's very frustrating. Uh, and uh, we filed appeals on this ruling, unfortunately, with no success. So uh, now we're going not to Congress, but to the Knesset <laughs> to uh, legislate a law that will award victims. There is no law. We're gonna, they're no, going to name no that move yet. the Nitsana <laughs> soon. <laughs> um, no, there is no law. They, I, I said the, the Supreme Court just get it, uh, just awarded whatever they thought fit. Uh, we feel different mm-hmm. and um, we are trying to pass a law now that will grant 10 million shekels per victim mm-hmm. for the father, for the mother, for the brothers, whoever is filing the lawsuit. Amen. And, and what about um, suing, for, I'm thinking about now TikTok is the big uh, hub. Yes. What about suing TikTok? Because TikTok have Israeli branch. They what about do. suing them in Israel? Yeah, they do. And uh, we are looking into these uh, cases. TikTok is a Chinese company. They do have uh, a branch in Israel, but yet um, we need to uh, prove causation under the Israeli law, meaning that um, this specific TikTok episode Video, yeah. uh, caused a terrorist to go and carry the specific attack that you're suing for. Mm. And it will be a little bit hard. In the United States, you don't have to go this road yet. Although the Supreme Court did consider if it is secondary liability, you have to prove causation or not. It's still uh, unruled, so we'll see. But in Israel, it's definite. So it's a little bit harder. Wow. That's very inspiring, but also frustrating. But, but, you're, right, but, also but you're right, the TikTok is number one cause for no. the uh, lion's, uh, um, lion dam, yeah, lion's, uh, dam. Uh, lion's dam and uh, the uh, Jenin brigades yeah. for continuing on and, and slaughtering people. Yeah. And Hawara and in Ramot, in Jerusalem and elsewhere, uh, just because they are free to uh, broadcast and to uh, show and screen these horrific videos yeah. encourage others to follow them. Let's talk briefly about, like, I, I don't get it, Nitsana, because, like, I, you have a lot on your plate. Yes. Uh, it, you don't have a boring life, it seems to mm-hmm. me. So, for people who don't know, Nitsana ran uh, for the Knesset in the last elections a few months ago. Uh, she ran with Ayala Chaked. The Yamina party, they didn't pass the threshold. I think you got like 60,000 votes, something like that. Yeah. Um, why? 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 It wasn't Yamina, it was Baiti Udi. Baiti Udi, okay. And um, Baiti Udi asked me to join. Uh, Baiti Udi did not run in the past election, the previous one, um, and felt that uh, there is a sector in the population that want it to come back. Uh, and they uh, needed people to run with it. I agreed to be number two in Baiti OD, and then we joined with the Yelich Akid from Yamina ah, okay, okay. and ran the uh, yeah. the party. Um, I am. Uh, I felt that in Shurat Adin, um, we reached obstacles that have to be dealt with in the national level. 
uh, Harpoon, which I talked about. This is the book that we wrote. This is a unit that we worked with, no longer active because the government reduces the um, uh, need for financial war against terrorism to almost zero. Uh, I believe that it has to be reinstated. I believe that Harpoon has to come back and because only by fighting the money that goes to the terror organizations, you can really destroy their infrastructure. This is one thing. Another thing is a fight on behalf of the victims. Um, we see, and uh, this went on before the election, that the uh, court does whatever they want uh, because there is nobody to restrain it. So this is the uh, type uh, of uh, doing that the Knesset should be doing, and I thought I can take and uh, play a role. Um, and other uh, wars that we do in Shurat Adin, uh, fighting BDS, lawfare, fighting those who blame Israel for war crimes. Um, the state did not do enough, uh, and I thought to bring my experience, my talent, my knowledge into this fight on behalf of the state of Israel. So you didn't give up the dream yet? Not yet. Okay. <laughs> and, and that If I'm called again, I'll probably okay. go and fight. Okay, you have the bug, as they say. <laughs> But you're waiting to be called. Yes. Meaning you don't have yes. the act, you don't have like concrete plans. As yet. we said, we have a full life and uh, not a dull moment. So uh, okay. we'll continue the fight until then. Wow, that's a very inspiring story. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And uh, the book, let's plug the book. Harpoon by Nitzan Delshan Leitner. Harpoon Inside the Covert War Against Terrorism's Money Masters. And you have another book on the way you were telling. Yes, that will be about Gonzalez versus Google. Mm. Um, <laughs> nice. Technology and high tech and terrorism. terrorism. Yes. It's just a winning mix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It really but, is. It's but like I, Fauda and Silicon Valley. Yeah. One. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess in Harpoon, like if we just got a taste from the, I guess it has crazy stories, a lot of more stories. Yes, there. it has all the operations. I mean, some of the operations, most of them were censored by the censorship, but uh, a lot of uh, operations that Harpoon took, um, everything by scamming Yasser Arafat and tricking uh, Hezbollah's leaders and uh, and robbing banks in Jordan, Samaria, and uh, bombing banks in uh, Lebanon, and until uh, assassinations, but not of the terrorists, but those, the uh, money people in the two organizations. Mm -hmm. Mayor Dagan came with a declaration that uh, there are no white collars jobs in the two organization. Everybody would be found accountable. Everybody is a target. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. So guys, get the book. We'll put links also. It's on Kindle, on Amazon, all the yes. places. Um, and y your organization accepts donations. Yes, definitely, and uh, thank you for uh, mentioning that. Uh, it's a non-for-profit based solely on donations, and uh, it's tax-deductible in the United States, mm -hmm. in Canada, in Australia. Just go on our website and uh, donate generously. Okay, so we'll put links, and it's you know you're putting the money for a very good cause. Very good use, yeah. 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 Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much for really coming. Really fast. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you very much. Bye, guys. See you on the next Bye. one. Bye next time.